So on election day, when I walked into the polling place, I was amazed to see this big long line of young people who um, were coming to vote. And immediately I suspected what we learned later from the numbers that young people really do care and uh, were engaged, activated and came out and um, reduce what might have been a red wave to a bit more of a, I don't know, a stream, a trickle. And um, who can say what's going to happen going forward? And of course, we don't know who controls Congress yet until um, the runoff in Georgia, or maybe some of the things that are going to happen in a couple of the other states that haven't counted everybody yet. But uh, I, I feel that the, the period of the dominance of the, the, the quote, big lie about the who won the last election is maybe waning substantially. And we may, I'm not going to say get back to normalcy because who knows what normalcy is going to be going forward, but that we may achieve some kind of a, a real balance between the real conservative Republican of tradition and um, and uh, the progressive policies that um, are important in trying to rekindle our, our economy and get kids into school so they learn what, what they can do with our changing economy. So Clancy Dubose and Silas Lee, both both less Burks who know a lot more than me, are going to share their points of view on that. Um, and then we'll turn to um, big events, parties that are happening this weekend. And that's going to be our show today, so let's roll. Clancy Dubos, not the evening any of us expected, I would say. Um, yeah, there, there are several takeaways we can talk about uh, and or several ways to analyze it. And all of them are valid, but I don't think any one of them fully explain everything that happened. But there are some broad categories that we can look at and uh, that sort of explain uh, some of the things. As you mentioned, uh, one is that the expectations of a lot of people, which were really more like hopes or fears, more than really expectations or predictions. The Republicans tried to flood the zone with bogus polls, uh, which they thought would uh, uh, deter Democrats or maybe uh, dishearten Democrats from voting and uh, and maybe energize Republicans. I can't tell if it had one effect or the other. It, it, it might have done the opposite on both uh, or, you know, and uh, I, I think so that's one, you know, the Republican attempt at disinformation on polling failed. Okay, we know that whatever they were trying to do, it didn't work. Uh, secondly, voter suppression efforts did not work. It, it, it had the reverse. It had the reverse impact. It seemed to have a reverse impact, and and that happened in 2020 and in 2018 as well. The more they try to suppress black vote, the more black voters are determined to participate in this experiment called democracy. So I don't know what it's going to take for them to learn. Uh, you know, but the, you know, what's that old thing about the definition of insanity? You keep doing the same thing all over and over again, expecting a different result. Uh, it is kind of insane what they're trying to do. 
And then another uh, broad takeaway, which I'm not sure I, I totally buy this, but, but it is one way of looking at it. And it's true on some levels in terms of the effect. Uh, and that is that the so-called red wave ran into a blue wall and the wall mostly held. Uh, although the Senate isn't completely uh, sorted out yet, the mm -hmm. votes have been cast, they just haven't all been counted. And same in the House, although the House looks like it may uh, shift to Republican control, but only slightly uh, by a smaller margin, the, uh, uh, by the, a smaller yeah. margin, by a smaller number of seats than what the Democrats had, which is going to make it difficult for Kevin McCarthy to control things because you've got a very rebellious uh, set of people in the Republican Party and they are not all lockstep. Uh, so uh, what, one, one of the things that happens when you become the party in power and your party gets big enough, you learn what it's like to have different factions and, and you know, people who want to rebel and who dig in their heels and say, I'm not going to go along with it unless you give me what I want kind of thing. So uh, and Kevin McCarthy is good at fundraising, but I don't know if he's good at herding sheep uh, or herding cats, I should say. So, uh, well, there are some sheep, but there are also some cats in the Republican delegation. So that's another one. And here's another takeaway, and this is one of my favorites. America's Gen Zers, young people, very young voters, and women and Blacks saved the political fortunes of an old male octogenarian. How about that? So, I don't uh, think that's what they were trying to do. Not, that may not be what they were trying to do. It may not have been their motivation. That that's that the result. That is definitely the result. But also, you know, give Joe Biden credit. He's not as, yes, he's old. Yes, he's white. Yes, he's a man. But look at how much he has accomplished with the divided, you know, skin of your teeth margin in both the House and Senate compared to what Trump did when he had all three, a comfortable margin in the House and Senate and couldn't get anything done for four years. You know, talked about infrastructure, Biden got it done in the first year or maybe for just after one year. You know, talk about managing COVID. You know, it's not totally gone, but it's, it's, it's a lot better off than, than we were two years ago. And, and, and there's a lot more confidence in, 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 in the public about where we are and where we're going and what the government is doing for us. Uh, you've got, you know, you don't hear, you know, four years ago, the, the big tribal chant among Republicans was, we're going to repeal Obamacare. You don't hear any of them talking about Obamacare. In fact, there was a, there was a referendum in one of the red states. Was it Kansas or somewhere? And the, by a plebiscite, a ruby red Republican state voted to expand Medicaid. Yeah. You know, so, because why? Why did they do that? Because it works. And because it, in fact, is affordable care. You know, it was expensive at first, but they worked out the kinks. And now it's working which means that the next step of expanding Medicare, uh, you know, to, to, to make that our system of, of a single payer system, uh, maybe lowering the age for which it's eligible and maybe raising the premiums beyond what seniors pay, but making it somewhere between what seniors pay and what you pay in the open market to let people get into Medicare, you know, and, and expanding the, the list of services that Medicare offers. It's, 
it, it may you have to we have to find our way through this but i think it's going to happen because more and more voters recognize that and, and then of course that that a lot of the things that democrats push for and implement which are you know, republicans try to make controversial after a fairly short period of time the republican constituencies say wait a minute that's pretty good let's go with that you know right. There's a, a black Democrat who put it in place in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the case of the Affordable Care Act. And there's one other thing that just because young people and women and African-Americans weren't making a lot of noise doesn't mean that the threat, to democracy, the threat to our future, the repeal of overturning of Roe v. Wade and voter suppression efforts weren't on their minds. They just stewed and said, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. And they showed up and they voted. So it did matter. They just didn't make a lot of noise about it like Republicans often do. They just quietly got it done. Yeah. And I think um, also there is, there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot more going on in how the younger generation and um, and actually even older generations are getting their information, absorbing it, digesting it, and coming up with their points of view that- And acting we, upon it. And, and, acting, and acting upon it that, that we're not clear about. So I, I think social media played a bigger role than we probably would love to um, acknowledge to it. Well, but and, and this, but not the kind of Younger people, that's, that, when, that's how they get the information. But not the kind of social media necessarily that people in our generation look at Twitter and Facebook. It was more TikTok and other things that that the, the Gen Z uh, youth go for. And 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 the other thing is, it was a it was it was an election that shattered stereotypes. Certainly shattered the the, the long-standing political stereotype of young voters. Yep. Absolutely. And that, that's the next big wave, the, the next big population wave. You know, you and I are boomers. We were this big wave that went. I'm through. actually you're a little me. older than a boomer. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're close. We're going to claim you. You, you are, you're, you're on the Thank cusp. But, I act uh, like a boomer. Because I am smack dab in the middle. I was born in 54, uh, 1954, that is. <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> but Gen Z is the next big population wave coming through. And which is, which is that's, and part, already doing it. that's to me, there's a couple ironies of what's been going on. And, and one of the ironies is that the, that the Republican party, it would rather kind of fight an old battle, an old world. And this is actually historically um, uh, a pattern on the part of societies that don't deal with the future that want to somehow just protect the past. And, and so they're busy trying to shore up the old school, the old scene, the older populations and so on. Totally not trying to figure out how to reach out to the younger uh, generation and to the new immigrants as opposed well, to- Well, but let's think about this. All immigrants. But, but Jean, remember that about a third of young voters voted Republican on, on, on certain levels. So they, they can build up because as people get older, they tend to get more conservative. So well, there's no guarantee that Gen Z is going to still be 
voting Democrat in 20 right. years. Exactly. But that's exactly why you would think that the Republican Party would be chasing their vote in trying to, instead of trying to chase it away. That's one irony. The other irony that well, it, the, it, the opening is there's a bigger opening there for Democrats to say, hey, tell us what you want. And uh, well, not, not just that, but let's see what we can do to, to, to earn your trust again and to not just to strike fear in you about Trump, but let's see what we can do to, to, to earn your vote next time. Um, Clancy, um, uh, let's check in again soon. I, I think that uh, it's gonna be very interesting going forward, um, regardless of what happens in Georgia and those particular states. The outcome of this election is that things have shifting uh, in a more positive direction, I have to feel. All right, Thank well, you. thanks so much. Take care. All right, get some rest. All right. I have Silas Lee. I mean, who else can we possibly talk to today about what happened? Uh, but one of the gurus and um, who can, um, I guess, kind of confirm the impressions, some of our first impressions that um, people are, are smarter, kinder, and more concerned about certain issues like women's choice and freedom, and um, and maybe they're maybe they're finally I don't know if they're seeing through um, everything, but there certainly seems to be less of a of a slavish commitment to Trump's um, post uh, election assumption that he could just somehow stay in office when he's lost. What, what, does that match up kind of with what you feel about it? Well, elections are episodic. It depends on the environment. So each election is different. Uh, so some of it reflected Trump's presence, but a lot of it also reflected the mood of the electorate and issues that they were being challenged by. So every cycle is different and it depends on what is occurring in society at that point in time. Yeah. And therefore, um, what's of the things that are happening at this moment, which do you feel were the most um, impactful? How do you see this affecting um, election dynamics as we go forward? Well, we didn't have the problems and the irregularities that some people anticipated, uh, maybe in very few instances, there were some irregularities that were quickly addressed, but in terms of the, uh, the, the election being free of any so-called corruption and rigging and all of that, that did not occur yesterday, nor did it occur in 2020. So that myth can be immediately dispelled. Let's talk about Louisiana for just a minute. Um, I, I, I kind of felt like uh, we were in the middle of uh, something great that was happening for a lot of the country. But for me, I, I was feeling a little bit down about Louisiana. I mean, when I first came here, my impression of Louisiana was that it was one of the most uh, democratic of all the Southern states and one of the most liberal. And then came the right to work laws in the mid seventies and things changed dramatically. And so I, I'm, I'm really wondering, um, you know, when are we going to experience some kind of a, a, um, a kind of a, a 
forward movement in, uh, let's say, at, at the very least, balancing things out so that we're not as quite as red a state as we are right now? I don't know. Well, we went from blue to red, and I don't know if it's going to flip from red to blue anytime soon, given uh, the political ideology of residents and what we've seen in terms of voter trends in the recent past. So I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon in reference to that changing. Yeah, I don't see I don't see a, 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 a total change from red to blue. I, I wasn't um, implying that. I just, again, you know, my, my sense, I don't, I don't have a, um, a sense of energy and dynamic in the party in a way that indicates any kind of um, true challenge um, to uh, Louisiana status as a pretty uh, overall. You may not see it and uh, recognize it because you're not intimately uh, involved in it. So it's there, yes. It's just a lot of things that we that occurs in the background if you're not intimately involved in it, no one sees. And that's what politics and businesses and uh, various entities. Uh, so I'm not surprised that a lot of people might have a blind spot there. I hope that you're right, that there's a lot going on in the background that I don't know about. Appreciate okay. so much that you took the, a moment uh, to talk with us. Thank okay. you, Thomas. Okay. All sure. right. Okay. All right. Bye -bye. Ethan Elstadt has got two roles. Um, he's the leader of MACNO, um, Music and Cultural Coalition of New Orleans, right? That's right. Uh, but he also is kind of a hero for live music in, in the city of New Orleans, quite frankly. And he is about to resume annual celebrations for MACNO, which had been um, halted for the pandemic, of course. And it comes um, after a major achievement of actually uh, getting some new regulations put in place. But the main thing I want to start with is, is um, uh, Ethan, give us a little bit of a heads up about your coming event. Sure. Uh, and thank you for that intro, Gene. Uh, we are, as you mentioned, resuming our anniversary celebrations. And this is going to be our 10th anniversary, amazingly enough, from the first meetings that were held uh, in 2012, which if you know the story of how we came to be, there were stories, there were meetings that were held um, in the run up to the, the uh, New Orleans hosting one of the Super Bowls. And during that run up, they decided to crack down on music permitting. And so a number of music clubs lost their ability to host live entertainment, which means a number of musicians lost all of their gigs. And so there was a, a large outcry within the community. Uh, Kermit Robbins actually had meetings at his, we had the, the speakeasy on Basin Street, a few hundred people showed up and, you know, were upset. And through those meetings, you know, long story short, a number of folks continued to meet on a weekly basis for nearly a year, uh, every Wednesday at noon, and ultimately through that process, the, an organization developed, which ultimately became Macmillan Music Culture Coalition of New Orleans. Um, uh, two or three years after that, we became an actual nonprofit because you could only have volunteer meetings happen on a consistent basis for so long before it becomes really difficult for people to be able to continue doing that. So we formalized and it gave us some options to really work on our advocacy and move forward. So 
that's a long story sort of how we got to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we haven't been able to celebrate for uh, the past three really at all because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to gather. We're trying to do a bigger event at Zony Mash Beer Project so we can have indoor and outdoor stages and have music going from 2 to 7 p.m. on Sunday, uh, November 20th. So, you know, we've got a, a great lineup of, of artists. We have Waterseed, we have Flagboy Giz, we have The Lovebirds, uh, Robin Martin and Pat Casey. We have um, the Pinettes uh, and, and other artists as well. So, you know, a food truck, silent auction. We're trying to really kind of make it, you know, in some sense, it's New Orleans. It's a mini 10th anniversary festival, right? And so we want to make sure that people can come. It's family friendly. Um, if you're only comfortable outdoors, you can be outdoors. If you want to go indoors, you can be indoors. And, uh, you know, just to come and gather and, and celebrate 10 years of of work and 10 years of success. Um, and, and so, I mean, it, it wasn't 10 years of success. It took you a lot of those years <laughs> to achieve the success. Correct. And, and so that's very important because I think a lot, a lot of times we have a goal, a, a civic goal, and uh, we work on it and, um, you know, we keep the energy up for quite a long time. And then ultimately other things compete and, and things dissipate. But um, essentially your effort, uh, you, you stayed with it, others with you stayed with it and brought it home. And so um, if you could with uh, sort of the, the short version of, of, of what happened with the council these past months that resulted in um, new regulations. And, and, uh, and I, it may not be the end of the story. There may still have to be some you know, adjustments made, um, but it, it certainly is uh, an improvement. Over yeah, the, I think, it, I think it's- was kind of the wild east or west, west right. of the Mississippi. Yeah. The wild south. Um, the, I think I think you're right. It is not the the end of the story, and, and you know it's New Orleans. Nothing's ever truly the end of the story, no matter what. But I think it is significant progress. What we really worked on, and I know what you're referring to, is the issue with outdoor live entertainment. And so that's something we'd worked on for for the past three over three years, um, even before the pandemic. We started on it because, um, and this is kind of as an organization, what our bread and butter really is is trying to change the the underlying laws and policies that end up becoming a barrier to uh to music to cultural activity and a, and a barrier to figuring out a way that can do it conducive that, that's conducive to performers to businesses and to neighborhoods because often the way that it's set up leads to conflict and so how do we unpack all that create these policies and do it so we specifically focused on outdoor music and live entertainment to figure out a pathway for businesses to be able to host outdoor concerts, outdoor plays, outdoor stand-up comedy without having to pay exorbitant fees, uh, but also having reasonable restrictions on it that would create some level of um, consistency and certainty for for neighbors as well. So over, you know, over three years we worked on it, um, and when we got the new council in place, finally we had an opportunity to move it forward. It was in stasis basically for the bulk of the pandemic. There was a temporary order that was going to expire, but when it expired, most of the businesses that were hosting outdoor performances would have had to stop doing it, sort of, it would have been a switch. And we really worked hard to make sure those businesses could stay viable, outdoor spaces could continue because there are a number of people that are still more comfortable performing outdoors 
and attending shows outdoors. And so we want to make sure that that those options, you know, maintain a possibility. But again, also, there are a number of uh, of steps that a business would have to go through in order to get the full um, permission to do so. So it's not a free for all, but it does create a process that you can go through to be able to get approved. And so, you know, for us, that's a significant step forward and a significant victory. Um, and again, something to celebrate. Part of the reasons we're doing this at Zoni Max is because we can actually utilize that outdoor space that we work so hard to be able to make sure it can move forward. But also because we know some people may not want to come to the indoor show, so let's give them the option. And so for us, it really is the culmination of, of being able to do that. Um, but to your point, there are probably still some little details that will have to get worked out. Um, you know, the permitting process takes time to go through. And so we're going to see what ultimately uh, works. Is it too restrictive? Is it is it too permissive? You know, we'll might have to have work with the council and, and neighbors to make some tweaks. But I feel really strongly we are we are really on, on a in a great spot and we'll be able to figure that out. Right. I, I would agree, even though, as you know, because uh, we've talked a lot about this um, offline, that um, I, I'm very concerned. I live in a residential area that uh, uh, one person on a council staff once uh, uh, kiddingly said, well, I guess you live in Waiting Central. And um, I do, and, uh, and, and, and it's back up right now. And it's um, like every weekend a wedding, um, uh, two doors from me. And so I, I still I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I don't understand how, um, I mean, I know there's supposed to be limitations on the number of times a facility can, can actually have an outdoor event. Um, in a residential neighborhood, which is different from those neighborhoods where um, uh, you can have live music and it's not going to intrude on the quality of life of residents. But um, before I, I want to come back to that, but before I do, let, let's just um, I want to do the broader picture. So how do you see your mission, the mission of your organization going forward? So you're asking people to come to celebrate your gala and celebrate your organization. Um, and celebrate what you've gotten done, um, but but what what's next? Yeah, that's great. Also, not a gala. Feel feel free to come as you are. You don't need to dress up. Uh, <laughs> that's the tenet of, of what we do, right? Uh, but I think for us, we spend a lot of time over ten years, um, and, and my colleagues Hannah and Renard will talk about this. Is often kind of having to put out fires to some extent, right? This this venue is in trouble. This thing has happened. How do we help them? How do we fix it? How do we address it? And, you know, by necessity, that was the bulk of, of what a lot of what we did because we, we know people know what else to call. And so they reached out to us and we would help them out. Um, moving forward, I think we're in a, in a spot where, you know, that's not, it's never going to go away totally, but we're really looking at, at more systemic solutions for some of these issues, which is, you know, part of what the outdoor live entertainment issue was, but, you know, how do we really look at some of these policies that have been in place in some instances for, you know, decades and in some instances for, you know, closing in on a century, right? That have still in the code. Basically not in place. Right, <laughs> not in place or, or have been in place sort of in the background um, that, that pop up and pop down as, um, just as they do, or as someone realizes that they're there. An example we talk about quite often is you know, in the in the city code, there still is an ordinance that says it is illegal to play a musical instrument in the public right away after 8 p.m. Um, it is a misdemeanor crime to be able to do so. 
to do so. It's not, it's been, it's been deemed unconstitutional by a couple of different administrations, but they've never taken it off the books. And so if you remember, for example, when there was a big controversy, um, when the Trump, Eugene, the trumpet player was arrested on, on Frenchman street in 2019, if you look at the, the footage, they, the officer says the reason we were out here in the first place is because it's illegal to play music after eight o'clock. And so it's not enforced until it is. And when it is, you know, it just is on the book. So they, they use it. Someone didn't realize they weren't supposed to enforce it. They did. And it led to a, an arrest and, and a real, you know, conflict. And so what we're looking at is how do we actually address that? We need to take that off the books uh, because as long as it's on the books, it becomes something that can pop back up, be a threat. And, and you know, our slogan has always been music is not a crime and we maintain nobody should ever be arrested for playing music, right? And so we need to make sure that these things are taken off the books because if they're not, then there's always the chance that yeah. someone will see it. Administration changes, someone doesn't know uh, what the policy is and that comes back around and that can be really damaging. So we're looking at ways we can continue, we can do that kind of work. Will we also look at the way the city is changing? So, um, you know, affordable housing issues become uh, more in the forefront because if people can't stay here, then it doesn't matter whatever policy we change because there's not going to be anywhere else that people can stay, can play, and can live to perpetuate the culture. So, how do we do that back end to create, uh, you know, policies and spaces that are conducive for the culture to continue, but also continue to evolve? It's not our job ever to say what is an acceptable piece of culture. What is, you know, it is here. Here is the place that you can go and create. Um, and so we want to make sure that that happens because there would not be a New Orleans, a New Orleans culture if there weren't those spaces historically where people could come together create and develop something new and it continues to evolve evolve so we need to make sure that those spaces also continue i think um one of the challenges that uh still is worrisome um and, and as you know i was a proponent and 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 hopefully this can still have a life even though i'm not sure it's it's something i can take on personally um but I, I do think it's still important for us to work a little bit harder at being intentional in identifying lo locations throughout the city, in business districts, in small parks, in, in um, somewhat uh, areas that are in decline, perhaps that don't have a lot of housing or any kind of edifices. Uh, I've, I've noticed some areas recently, um, kind of in almost uh, to the uh, far end of the Lafitte area, um, that uh, are look like they might be viable for live music that would not be intrusive. Or you, uh, you, you take some public streets that could be closed down um, uh, with, the, with the right um, provisions. Uh, and I often think about by road as, a, as an area that's kind of a perfect example of that between Georgianois and Broad Street where we have um, new restaurants and, and clubs and bookstores and, and, uh, and a, 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 a facility that uh, hopefully will become an entertainment facility again. It isn't at the moment, but it will be again. Um, so I, I think that there's, you know, again, uh, a developing more, more definite, consistent opportunities is still something that obviously um, I, I'm, I know that you'd like to see happen. I want to understand a little bit better 
um, if you don't mind, uh, how a particular facility in a residential neighborhood, especially one that has already been in existence, um, how that facility goes forward and uh, does it continue to, let's say, have unlimited number of events or does it have to now acknowledge um, the limit on the number of events that, that happen in a year? Um, because that, that's something that I still don't really understand how that's going to work. Yeah, and I think, um, so there's two answers. And, and one answer is some of that will have to get figured out um, within the, the within the sort of governmental structure itself. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to speak for, say, the Department of Safety and Permits, what they, what they ultimately decide, because I'm an advocate. I don't have the power to make them uh, do anything with their, within their own bureaucracy. But to, to a larger sort of scope of the answer is the way that the outdoor live entertainment was set up was that anybody that had been going through the process would have to go through the conditional use, which means there has to be a neighborhood check on that process, which means there's an input that could um, limit them to one day a week, you know, twice a month, or if neighbors want it five days a week. It gives them that, it gives it that flexibility. It gives the baseline um, uh, of sort of the, the structure, but it can vary depending on place and limits. In terms of an existing uh, venue, so, you know, the venues that you talk about, the wedding venues, et cetera, my guess and my understanding was be that would be looked at a case-by-case basis because there's a finite number. Um, and I think those are the kind of things that are getting worked out now because the the new um, changes to outdoor live entertainment won't have, actually even kick in basically until after the first of the year. So you're on the old structure until 20, start of 2023, which I know is coming up quickly. Um, yeah, sure is. So, you know, again, it, it's the kind of, you know, kind of nuance that happens with this. But what I'll also say is part of the issue that you're describing is is why I thought it was so necessary to get this because when there was no structure, things that kind of slip in and become its own um, sort of policy and entity unlike anywhere else start to happen. And then you kind of have a little bit of that free for all where everybody's different, everybody's doing things because there was no policy. And so if you're a bad actor, you can slip in and start doing things that might be more, um, you know, more disturbing or disturbing the neighborhood because there was no um, baseline for good or for bad. And so part of what this policy will create that baseline so people can't slip in and, and start doing something that becomes disruptive. Mm. All right, well, uh, you know, um, I, I could dig into the weeds, uh, but I think that's for another time. I think right now it's a time for celebration. Um, you have a, a major one coming up, your anniversary. Um, let's um, let's run down the details because yeah, I mean it sounds like you have some great entertainment. It's a great location, um, and uh, hopefully the weather will hold. You never know; it could be colder, it could be warmer. But um, well, we're so, indoor and outdoor. We can we can manage exactly, it exactly. That's that's perfect for great event planning on your part. So um, yeah, tell me again. Um, just run down the details and also uh, relate to things like directions, location, parking. Because I always think it's important for people to understand that. Otherwise, maybe they're not sure and they don't go. Sure. Uh, again, the event is 2 to 7 on Sunday, November 20th at Zoni Mash Beer Project, which is on South Broad Street, 
um, sort of in that large intersection right there. It's abroad in Thalia Street. You'll see you'll see it right there. Um, you know, it is a you know, it's a it's a fundraiser, but it is pay what you want, right? So you everybody is welcome, depending on their you know ability to pay or not pay. You're everyone is welcome. You know, kid friendly indoor outdoor space. We've got the the lineup, water seed, um, flag boy giz, the lovebirds, which are Robin Barnes and Pat Casey, uh, original Penance brass band, and um, Mikey offline. So it's it's gonna gonna rotate from indoor to outdoor stages uh, for for about five hours. I think the Saints play at noon. So depending on how that game goes, you can feel free to come out at two. It's looking like the season's <laughs> continuing in that path. Um, and, and yeah, the other thing I wanna really you know, lift up about, you know, this being our 10th anniversary, you know, the core team, you know, you've got myself and my colleagues, Hannah Krieger Benson and Renard Bridgewater, but also is it, you know, the fact that we've been able to make it for so long and, and do the work and, and building these successes is really based on the fact that there have been hundreds and hundreds of people that have been involved, have, you know, come to meetings, have made comments, have been on planning committees, have emailed or called a council member who have been on the board of directors, will volunteer their time, who have gotten involved. And, you know, we are the music and culture coalition. The coalition, you know, varies depending on who's involved with what, but truly it is, um, it has been a, an effort by many, many people that have, have built the success. So there's a lot of, a lot of people that really um, should, you know, take pride in it because there's no way we could have done it without all the voices and the people that have been involved. It, it's truly a collective community group effort. I think that's uh, been very clear. I think people um, appreciate that. And that's been one of the reasons why um, you've had some cooperation, some noticeable co cooperation from council members and so on. So we all have to thank you. And um, I, I think a, a, a great way to uh, thank you is to come to your event, which sounds like a, a killer. You know, we are at maccno.com so you can get more information there. Of course, you know, everyone is welcome. You can also make a donation online if, if you can't make it. Um, again, all that kind of stuff is, is available. And we are widely available to uh, respond to any and all messages for any more info or just if you've got some thoughts or ideas, hit us up and we'll be happy to, to keep the conversation going. All right. Well, I hope it's a smash hit. And um, I look forward to uh, progress with um, all the things that have to do with live music and music in general and, and appreciate all that you've been doing. Um, even as you know, I have always uh, very much appreciated the way that you try to work with people. And, um, and I'm sure that uh, is a culture in your organization and the people that you work with. So we all thank you and your team and um, good luck with it. Thank you, Dina, and always thank you for your time. Um, thrilled to be uh, with um, two people who are uh, in different ways responsible for a, a fantastic event that's going to take place this uh, weekend. Um, wait a second. Is it this weekend or next weekend? It's this, it's this weekend. Tomorrow. It weekend? In fact, tomorrow, Saturday. Oh, tomorrow. Is it? It starts Friday? Oh, the day after tomorrow. Today's Thursday. Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so um, again, three, two, one. Um, I, you know, there's a place called a studio in the woods. 
I'm sure that in and of itself is an invite. And it, it just, it, it teases your ideas that, okay, art in nature sounds great. And it does indeed uh, work that way for artists who are invited to have retreats there where they can kind of have a fresh moment to think about their creative work, their oof, their trends, their ideas, and, and, and sometimes come up with something new or sometimes just make something work that they hadn't uh, pulled together yet. Um, so Shikandria Sibley, who is a poet and a multidisciplinary artist, um, has been there uh, for the past two weeks, should I say? I was there for two weeks uh, last October. Oh. Well, I split mine to two weeks. I did one in October and one at the beginning of this year. So I'm a former replenished resident. Yes. Right. And um, well, I'm just have to. Nobody is here to field the calls. But, um, I and and Gary um, is is helping to do the development that needs to be done to keep the studio yes. alive. And um, is is therefore a, an important part of making things happen there, and um, and Gary, I guess you have been involved, uh, I'm sure, in the preparations for this weekend's for Restival, and again, that, that is you to to have an idea of what it's about. That it's an art event in nature, um, uh, which is exactly what it is, and. Um, so well, let's start, let's, you know, let's kick off right away with um, the event and, and what it's all about. I want to talk a little bit further um, with Shikandria about her, um, her uh, creative work. Just dial, dial back just for a second and just tell you a little bit about a studio in the woods. Uh, I'm personally living the dream in, in many ways, just because I grew up uh, in a small town uh, in Vachery, Louisiana, along the Mississippi River, and I've always had uh, somewhat of an obsession with the with the river. You know, growing up near my house, there was a bridge that took 30 years to finish, so, you know, there was always this anticipation, and I uh, just so, a, a complicated relationship with the river because everything that has been uh, good for Louisiana and New Orleans in particular has come from the river, but the river is also really a source of a tremendous amount, amount of pain and, uh, and suffering for many people. Uh, so you know, with that being said, you know, my wife and I were exploring uh, areas in New Orleans, social distancing, visiting places we had not. And we started to explore lower, lower coast, Algiers, and uh, we eventually stumbled on a studio in the woods, followed them on Instagram, and uh, just kind of, it's been a love story ever since. So it reminds me so much of the River Parishes because it's the river, uh, it's big houses, it's small houses, it's, it looks like I'm in my home community. So I kind of got goosebumps when I first discovered it. But uh, a studio in the woods is a artist residency, artist and scholarly residency, scholarly resident program that allows you to come in and have some space. It provides respite, but ultimately create work that is responding to challenges of our time. If it's social justice, healthcare, 
if it is a scholar that's working on climate change, et cetera. Uh, we, we provide a space for you to create and we help nurture, help nurture your work in many ways. Uh, this Saturday, uh, November 12th, we are having Forestival, which is a celebration of art and nature. And it's from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it is, uh, it's basically the one day where artists, where, where the public is able to come in and enjoy a studio in the woods. Uh, this year's mu musical lineup spans the waterways and bayous of Louisiana. We have Shamar Allen performing, Sabine McCullough. We have Wayne and uh, Lil Wayne in the same old two-step. And also there's gonna be some Zodico calling from Harold Guillory all the way from Lake Charles. We also have a bunch of artistic presentations. Uh, we have a, an environmental justice hub and some amazing local eats from, including plant-based deli, plant-based plant vegan deli, which is in Algiers and top-notch Creole creations, which is in Laplace. So that's the overall that's uh, and the skinny. So <clears throat> I've talked a lot, so I'll- you got, you got me at the river, because I have to tell you that as much as uh, the river is a part of your uh, uh, coming up in um, Louisiana on its banks, um, yeah. I'm, from, uh, I'm from the South um, Bronx, and um, uh, believe me, the Mississippi River is 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 part of the mythology and the and and the legends of America in so many ways. So my first um, moment on the banks of the Mississippi River were also, um, you know, very important and and spine tingling, you might say. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm I'm so thrilled that you know Lucianne Carmichael and and and, uh, and Joe Carmichael um, uh, turned their home basically into this retreat. Um, all the acres around their uh, sort of big, um, strong, rustic uh, home, um, and I I'm I'm just really excited about um, uh, what this event is going to be like. So. Uh, um, I, but I want to see also, uh, hopefully I'll be able to see some of the work from some of the artists in Chicondria. Tell me about your work. So I'm a poet and spoken word artist, um, mostly uh, here based in New Orleans, originally from Alexandria, Louisiana. So I'm from what they call Sin Law. Um, I'm a river girl too, because I was actually born in a hospital that sits right on the Red River, if anybody knows about the Red River in Louisiana. Um, but not only am I a poet, I'm also a visual artist. So I do uh, some acrylic painting. Um, I also make music. Uh, I use what's called a loop pedal, which I incorporate into my poetry performances. Um, and I do a little theater, a little everything. I like to tell people as an only child, I didn't have a lot of, uh, I didn't have siblings, or I didn't have much of an outlet. So I was able to be just very creative. My parents always provided the tools for me to be able to um, just explore that. And so having this opportunity at Studio in the Woods just felt like me being that kid again, where I had all of this space and no responsibility and then being able to be back in um, a nature setting because um, a lot of people like to think of Alexandria as the country, even though it's not that country, but just a, a break away from the city, even if it's only like a 25 minute ride away, it felt like I was transported into a whole nother world and that my art got to 
breathe a little uh, and take in some fresh air, if that means anything. And so I did a two week residency. The first week that I did it, um, I was more focused on just trying to get comfortable in the space and just exploring. I bought everything with me. I bought my paints. I bought my loop pedal and my um, and my amp. I bought my guitar, which I don't really play much, but I plucked around on it. I bought uh, things to make sculptures with or whatever. And so I just played the first week. When I came back the second week for the second week of my residency, I had more of a focus. Um, I have a one woman play or show that I'm hoping to uh, produce that's based on a book I just finally published, my first collection of poetry called My Name is Pronounced Holy. Uh, and so I got to work on that the second week that I was there. So I feel like I was very productive in that two week space. A lot was able to be done because you wake up earlier, you know, like I'm an early riser anyway, but at Studio in the Woods, I wanted to get up every morning with the sun and with all of the animals and the birds, there's lots of birds and the, uh, the alligators that are out sunning in the morning and all those things. So it was just such a wonderful experience and, and good for this country girl right here. Um, it made know, me I, I should have said this before, but um, <clears throat> I just want to point out that the location is literally just off the banks of the river. So um, mm -hmm. you, you literally are, um, you know, embracing uh, the Mississippi River, uh, right there. So it's it's a it's a wonderful it's it's just a, it's a beautiful spot, and I think it's a privilege for the public to be able to come and spend some time there, and then also see the products of of your work. Are you going to perform, um, Shikandra? Yes, I am. I'm actually uh, planning to bring my loop pedal with me, and I'm going to be doing a poetry performance there with. Um, the loop pedal, so people will get to see something hopefully they've never seen before um, and get to have an experience. I don't really like to say that I do poetry performances. Um, for me, it's more of an experience because it's not me performing, it's me being and yeah. sharing that with the audience. Yeah. I, can, I can understand what you're saying. Um, Gary, um, uh, are there other artists uh, who are in this uh, cycle of retreat yeah. that are performing as well or presenting, let's say? There are, in, in addition to Shamari Allen Sabine and uh, uh, some of the other performers, some of the former residents include uh, Brandon Balangi, uh, Bruce Umpai Borns. We have Judith uh, Nieto, uh, of course, Shikandria. We have The Weavers Project, Kai Barrow, Latanya Green, and, and quite a few other uh, artistic presentations. So again, uh, we're also having yeah so again ahead. the privilege is not just again in, in experiencing the place the river and and, the, and uh, yes the birds but um literally the work of so many artists that most people are probably not familiar with because they're absolutely uh in addition <laughs> to experiencing the the lush grounds you also get uh, an opportunity to it's somewhat of a recital for residents who have been in the program oftentimes in the last uh, 24 months. Uh, this year we're, we're doing- Correctly, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, uh, we're also doing uh, an environmental justice hub this year prevent, pre presented by Earthworks and the Solutions Project. And that's gonna feature another golf as possible, uh, Congo Square Drum Circle, Rye St. James, and an artist, uh, Che. So, yeah, it's it's a diverse, wide array of things to uh, 
to consider. A river of creativity. Absolutely. <laughs> now, Absolutely. It's, um, I think that it's uh, just amazing how much creative work is going on in this city. And I think people are probably aware of just the, the tip of the iceberg, um, especially if they're, uh, if they're kind of hooked on the old stuff that they've been part of. Um, or, or they're just into the newest stuff. You you have to take it all in. That the whole thing that's so special about the New Orleans culture is how much we have kept our legacy of culture alive, but at the same time continue to experiment and improvise and come up with new um, creative ideas. So um, this, this this is really kind of to me one of the best possible events that you can go to to get a, a taste of. Um, the, the real creative um, place and, and, uh, and you know. Natural, in a natural environment. Yeah, in a natural environment. I, I know it's going to be great. I think I understand the, the weather is going to be uh, really nice, cooler, possibly. People might want to bring a sweater um, or jacket, but... Um, I think that uh, that's going to be something special too to finally have a little bit of a taste of um, the fall. We've had so much hot weather, so absolutely. L last year was the uh, first time I attended for us the wall, and I I needed to attend. I didn't know that I absolutely needed to be there, but uh, I mean I had not danced uh, in quite a while. And uh, towards the end of the festival, even though I'm there in a, in a business capacity, it just was fun to just, you know, take part in some of the programming as well. And I just felt really refreshed after being there. Well, I hope that maybe I can get out there. My husband happens to be recovering from a really bad accident. Um, Subarus uh, are supposed to be really safe, but they apparently have a little glitch that uh, allows them to kind of take off without the driver's permission. And uh -huh. uh, he ended up uh, smashed up against a, an oak tree, but he's alive and well and at Waldenburg, uh, not best. far from you. So I, I suspect what I will do is pay him a visit. He's still working on getting his fractured knees uh, working uh, and then come down and, um, and, and enjoy some of the, uh, the, the, the wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I could just really uh, quickly talk about how easy it is to uh, directions. So to get to a studio in the woods, yeah. it's about uh, 25 to 30 minutes from downtown New Orleans. And you cross over the bridge. Once you cross the bridge, stay to your right as you descend the bridge and take the General de Gaulle exit continue all the way down General de Gaulle to the intercoastal waterway. After that, cross the bridge, uh, make a right turn on LA 406 and go down for about five, uh, five almost six miles. And on the right-hand side, you're going to see a sign that says a studio in the woods, but there's, there's also gonna be some uh, instructions along the way to help folks guide them to Forestival. Perfect. And I, and I can tell you, as someone who, um, you know, uh, forays out from my home frequently, it is definitely an easy place to get to. I hope you guys have a blast, and I really hope I get there. I say that to all my guests of all their events, but because you are so close to where my husband is, I think there's a really good chance I'll get there. So I look forward to it. That would to be it. wonderful. That would Thank be absolutely wonderful.
Thank you. And Thank also, you. I think um, Gary mentioned before there was a there's a small uh, entry fee that's not yes. set in stone, so that people are prepared when they come to make a little donation, so that this organization can continue doing the lovely work that they're doing. I say make it big. Yeah, <laughs> it's giving people you know the freedom to to choose what they can accomplish what they can handle, but I say, do the best you can folks, because this program is important for you your child may wind up there someday and, um, or you, you will benefit from uh, some of the uh, products of the creativity that happens there. So, all Thanks. right, you guys have a blast. I hope it's a great success. Thank you. And thank uh, you so much. All, all power to studio in the woods. It's, it's going strong. It's been now, how many years since it, it was founded? And, well, it's since 2001 in uh, this capacity, but uh, the work started in 1969 with Lucienne and Joe Palmer. All right. Great. Cool. See you Saturday at Studio in the World.